Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the book of Romans chapter 12, Pastor Murphy explained the spiritual gifts of prophecy and ministering. Today we'll begin our study on the spiritual gift of teaching. Please turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. would like to continue reading from verse number 6 to verse number 8 of this chapter. We are going to pick up our text uh, this morning in verse number 7 and uh, verse number 8. But let's read uh, from verse uh, number 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or as the Greek says, if ministry, ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, we are left only to your word as the instrument that you will use in the lives of your people to edify the saint as well as to bring about transformation in the lives of the believer. It is also a means of informing our minds so that we become more intelligent believers in respect to issues that confront the church and become a matter of opinion within the world. One of the great concerns of the modern times is this whole matter of gifts. It would be a wonderful thing to find a church where every believer is functioning in the area of the giftedness. And I suppose such a church might exist, but it is a very rare entity. Help our people to, this morning, as we continue this teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, uh, to recognize that this church will never, ever function efficiently and effectively without every single member of this church using their God-given gift to help in this ministry. The pastor cannot do it alone. He is not the embodiment of the biblical gifts. He has some gifts, but he doesn't have all the gifts and never will any pastor have all the gifts exclusively. So therefore, it is incumbent upon the member to understand they must play their part, they must play their role. And they must keep within that area of giftedness and not try to cross over into areas where the Spirit has not gifted them. So there's no competition. There's more of a complementary within the ministry. This was your goal because we are one. We are one body. The body is made of, not made of one member but many members. So everybody can't be doing the same thing. A body which was all hands will never get the job done. A body which is all ears or all eyes will never get the job done. It is a matter of the multifunctioning of these various gifts within the body. Help now, Lord, as we go into 
uh, continued examination of these particular gifts. And may it be the desire of every believer who sits here to listen to your word, to be sane within themselves, what is my gift? How has God gifted me? And how can I use this gift within the work of the ministry? May we not be looking at somebody else trying to decide for them what their gift is and where they ought to be engaged in ministry. May we understand that this is an individual thing that uh, the Spirit gives to the individual. Now, Lord, give us the capacity to listen, to pay attention, to be alert, and to understand that this is not so much an inspirational message as it is an informative message designed to give the believer a more balanced perspective on this matter of gifts. We look to you, we ask for your help, and whatever is accomplished uh, through your word this morning, uh, the acknowledgement and the praise and the glory shall go to you. Our task as a pastor is just simply to expound the word and give the spirit the ammunition that he needs to fulfill that work in our lives because the word of God is the sword of the spirit we pray these mercies now in Christ's name amen if you've been following my discourse on the Pauline teaching on spiritual gifts you are aware that we are now dealing and examining the profile of gifts that Paul mentions in Romans chapter number 12 I mentioned to you that Paul gives us a profile of seven gifts between Romans chapter 6 and verse number 8. The seven gifts that Paul mentioned are the gift of prophecy, the gift of ministry, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of ruling, and the gift of mercy. To aid your memory, to remind yourself of what these seven gifts are, um, I mentioned that you can take these seven gifts and put them under two categories. There are within this, these seven gifts two categories of gifts. They are what I call the speaking gifts. Gifts that have to do with some form of verbalizing, some form of speaking. Those gifts are prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. Those are three speaking gifts, but each is distinctively different from the other. There are subtle differences between these three gifts, but they're not the same. Teaching is not the same as exhortation. Exhortation and teaching is not the same as prophecy. These are three different gifts. The second category of gifts that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8 is what we call the serving gifts. Uh, these are gifts that he calls ministry, giving, ruling, and mercy. Those are serving gifts. These are things that have to do with our action, what we do. Not what we speak, but what we do. So I hope that in some measure uh, you can appreciate uh, the Apostle Paul uh, mentioned these gifts. And I think you can appreciate that there are categories of these gifts. The one thing that should alarm us that seemed very significant to me is the conspicuous absence of any mention of what is called the sign gifts in this passage. Right? Very significant. And remember that Paul is writing 12 years after Pentecost. Remember that when he wrote the book of Romans. Within the first beginning of the church, you had a lot of these sign gifts, a lot of these miracles were happening. 
But you find that within the next 12 years, these begin to fade off as it were. And there's a reason for that, by the way. Remember that when the apostles started the uh, witnessing to the Christian gospel and the personal work of Jesus Christ, they were competing with two rival religions. They were competing what is called emperor worship. That's a secular religion where you had to say, give incense to Caesar and say, Caesar Curios, Caesar's Lord. The Christians could not say Caesar Curios. They said Jesus Curios. That's where the conflict entered between the state and the church. They would not acknowledge Caesar's Lord. They said there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ. So Rome says we can't have two rival lords. We've got to get rid of the church. And that's why Rome started persecuting the church. But there was another rival religion that they were up against, and this was what I call the religion of the Mosaic Judaism, the Jewish faith. Remember that when Christianity came on the scene, it was perceived as a sect of Judaism, part of Judaism. But as the Christian faith developed and the message became very clear, we're not preaching law, we're preaching grace, the Jews now began to persecute the church as well. So you've got the state persecuting the church. You've got the Jewish uh, people persecuting the church as well. So when this religion started, they needed some way of verifying that this was a movement of God. So that is where the sign gifts came in. There were temporary confirmatory gifts that authenticated and vindicated the message of the gospel and the truth about the personal work of Jesus Christ. They were designed to say to people, this is of Christ, this is of God. And the signs and wonders and miracles were designed to authenticate the message and to establish the Christian faith. Christianity was a new order, a new activity in the first century world. And uh, it needed to be confirmed that this was a new movement of God. Remember that Judaism, no question, came out of God established Judaism. The Mosaic law was established by God. So now you're saying there's another movement called the dispensation of grace, the church. How do you prove that this is of God? Well, ask yourself the question. When God established the Mosaic order, what did he do? It was preceded by signs and miracles indicating that God, this was a movement of God. Now the church is being formed. How do you know this is of God? Well, you need signs and wonders. But it was not designed by God that signs and wonders and miracles be the normal way of life. Because under the Old Testament economy, after you had signs and wonders and miracles, what God wanted the people to do is to live a very ordinary life of faith, obedience, love, and hope. Same thing with the church. It was not designed that Christianity would always have a manifestation of these signs and wonders. Because I want to say to you that the Bible says only an evil generation wants signs and wonders. What God wants are people who are willing to live a life of faith and righteousness, of love and hope and commitment. That's what he wants. And by the way, that's what the word, I heard Marlon praying this morning. And I listened to what he was praying about, you know. And what he's saying really that what God wants from his church are people who live the life. That's what he's saying. And I agree with him. I don't know if you noticed, the Bible says that John the Baptist performed no miracles. Yet the Bible says he's the greatest of all men that was ever born because he introduced the son. 
So the obsession today with signs and wonders is a misunderstanding of what was the purpose of those gifts. Now I would like to say something else here this morning. Because I'm saying that, I'm not saying that God cannot intervene in modern times and perform signs and wonders and do miracles. We can't put God in a box. The thing I'm trying to say to you is this. We've got to understand what was the purpose of those sign gifts. But what God really wants is a life of faith and obedience, a life of hope and a life of love. That's what he wants from us. That's how, and by the way, that's what the ordinary man wants to see. What's the use of coming into a church and hearing everybody speaking in tongues? You can understand a thing that they're saying. Maybe come to church and see a man walk down with a chair and then suddenly he abandons the chair. And then you learn later that it was all planned. That he was paid to come down and you go through this whole process. How does it help the unsaved man? The unsaved man says, how do I live an ordinary life with all my struggles? See? That's what he wants to see. And that's where you and I come in. See? They are looking at your life and my life to see how to live. The only Bible that they would see sometimes is your life. See? And this is what the, we need to understand when it comes to, that's why I think in this passage after 12 years, there's no mention of the sign gifts here. You're talking about the serving gifts, the speaking gifts, but there's no mention of the sign gifts at all at Rome. See? To my mind, that said something. And I think if you were to go through church history, uh, you will also discover that generally speaking throughout churches, only at very seldom periodic times, you will find a return to signs and wonders. But generally speaking, uh, that is not the norm. That is not what God it happens within the church. And if I were to ask you uh, and this morning, what would you want to see if you could see anything within the church? I think every one of us would say, Pastor, we just want to see people living a righteous, holy life and proving to people that there's a living God who is holy. I think we would all, that's what we want. And that's what God wants. And I think that it's very, very significant. By the way, uh, I mentioned the life of faith and obedience is the primary way that God wants us to live. And it's interesting that in this same book of Romans, this is what Paul emphasizes. Let me just show you three, uh, three verses. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse number 5. It says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Why did we receive grace and apostleship? For the obedience of faith, what? Among the Gentiles. That's why we were given the apostleship gift, etc., etc. That's why we were given the grace of declaring the gospel. Why? That it will result in the obedience of faith. That is faith that produces obedience in the life of the believer. See? Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 18. He said, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles what? What? Obedient by the word. What is faith? Faith is trust in the word. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The obedience that produces faith. Or faith that produces obedience, should I say. This is what the whole purpose of Paul's ministry was about. Let me show you another verse. Look at Romans chapter 16. 
and uh, verse number 19 and 20. He said, for your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. Verse 20. For the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, be unto, unto you. But notice the word there in verse number 5. For your obedience is gone abroad. The thing that people noticed about the Roman Christians was their obedience. Faith had produced obedience to the word. That's how we're supposed to live. A life of faith in obedience to the word. And why, when we obey the word, we're obeying God's will. That's how God designed the Christian life to be lived. So the obsession with signs and wonders and miracles, everybody got to see that. Jesus said, only an evil generation focuses on that. They're not concerned about righteousness and holiness. They want to see pyrotechnics. They want to see something spectacular. But the thing about it, it doesn't affect their lives at all. Did anybody do more miracles than Christ? But when he was all finished, all he had was 12 disciples and a few people that followed him. The masses didn't make any difference to them because miracles are not going to save you. One of the great scriptures that uh, is, is sometimes very puzzling, when our Lord gave the parable of the um, rich man who died and went to hell and the poor man Lazarus who went to Abraham's bosom. Do you remember when in that particular narrative uh, the rich man said to, to Lazarus as he looked over, he said, you know what? I've got five brothers that are virtually lost. If one would go to the de- back for the dead and tell them, they would repent. You remember what the Bible says? He said, though one come from the grave, they will not repent. Because if they have not heard, listen to Moses and the law, they will not be, be saved. It's the word. See, The word is what will bring about faith and eventually conversion. So all the miracles of a man coming back from the grave, say, don't come down here, it makes no difference. See, what has to be worked is the word has to produce faith in a person's life. It's the instrument that generates faith. And that's what God wants from us as believers. So the greatest witness to the supernatural reality of Christianity is a redeemed, transformed life of a sinner. I repeat that. The greatest witness to the supernatural reality of Christianity is the redeemed, transformed life of a sinner. That's why we talk about Zacchaeus. What a transformation he was. A materialist, a covetous man, a man that made his living by cheating people and charging, overcharging them, creating extortion. He charged a man four times what it was due to him. Then when he gets converted, he said to Jesus, look, whoever I've stolen from, I give them back fourfold. See, I do restitution. That's change. And when you could take a Jew from his money, you've done a miracle. See, tremendous miracle when you can do that. See, that's what happened with Paul. See. A persecutor becomes a proclamation of the word. That's what happened to people like Augustine, a womanizer who finally gives his life to Christ and becomes a man that preaches purity. That's what happened to Rahab, the harlot, a woman of prostitution, but yet a woman brought to faith and transformation. That's what happened to Dale Cunningham. You hear we talk about reformers unanimous that we intend to work with in connection with the drug we have. 
Uh, we have a track here about his life, how he's the one that was behind this movement. It's a story of a man so wrapped up in drugs, and it tells you how he got into this major accident, by the way, that brought him really into contact with believers, and he got saved. As a result of that, he started this whole movement. See? Transform. Transform. You'll see on the track a picture of him, what he was like before he was saved. And then you've got to track a picture of the man today. Two different people all together, like light and darkness. That's the evidence. That's the proof of a genuine, miraculous, uh, supernatural work going on. It goes on in the life of the individual. That is what God wants uh, from us. Now, having said that, I now want to uh, go back to these uh, gifts that Paul mentions. And I want to look at the two other gifts this morning, if the Lord would allow. Uh, notice in verse number 7 of the book of Romans, chapter 12. Uh, he said of ministry, let us wait on ministering uh, on he that teacheth, on teaching. And then in verse number 8, on he that exhorteth, on exhortation. The third gift that I want us to look at this morning is this gift of teaching. In the Greek language, uh, it goes the daskon, the daskalai. The one that teaches, teaching. He that teaches, teaching. Once again, this particular word is in what they call the locative case. And remember that locative case refers to the sphere of our giftedness. So what the Apostle Paul is here saying, if you have the gift of teaching, remain within that sphere and exercise that gift within that sphere of, 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 of giftedness. He's saying here, you know, don't try to cross over borders. God has not equipped you to be anything else than the gift of teaching. So don't try to be an exhorter. Don't try to be a one who is a ministering. That's not what God is. He has gifted you the gift of teaching. Stay within that realm. That is fear of your operation. I mentioned this before. Today, the great thing is specialization. But specialization was all in the Bible before it became a modern phenomenon. God has gifted people in special areas. And he's saying in every case, stay within the area of giftedness. He said you in the ministry, ministering, stay within the ear of ministering. Prophecy, stay within the ear of prophecy. In other words, there's a repetition here that the Apostle Paul, is, he's recognizing that within the church, there seems to be a competitive spirit. People don't understand that we are given to the church to complement each other. We're not there to be loggerheads. Well, I, I got the gift of teaching, I got the gift of prophecy, but you know, I think I'm a teacher too. So what happens is this, that people who are not given those particular areas of gift, they want to intrude on those areas, and you get conflict. See? The Apostle Paul is saying, if you give it the gift of teaching, uh, teach. So you're not supposed to be competing or comparing your gift with somebody else. You're supposed to understand that your gift is given there to complement the ministry. And by the way, you notice that this gift of prophecy, this gift of teaching, this gift of ministering, and this gift of exhortation is not the gift of pastoring. Hmm. See? In other words, the pastor does a lot of those things, but he's not the exclusive domain of those gifts. There are people who have the gift of teaching, who have the gift of exhortation, who have the gift of prophesying. 
and the gift of ministering within the church. So they are to work together in concert as opposed in competition and, and, and having all this unnecessary comparison. This is what Paul is here trying uh, to establish. So, that, um, so teaching then is a distinct gift. I want you to notice that it is different from prophecy. It is different from exhortation. It's not the same. People need to, people think that if you got this particular gift, that uh, it means that you got the other gift. It's a different thing altogether. All and uh, by the way, this same distinction between the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching and the gift of uh, uh, ministering and the gift of exhortation is mentioned again and again in Paul's writings. For example, you don't have to turn there, but in Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, he makes a distinction between prophecy and teaching. An apostleship. They're not the same. Now, do the apostles teach? Yes, they teach. But teaching is not embodied only in the apostles or embodied only in the pastor. See? This is the point he's making. And then, of course, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, again, he makes a distinction between apostles, pastors, evangelists, and teaching and exhortation. There are different gifts. So, not only here in uh, Romans chapter 8, chapter 12, do we find this distinction between these different gifts that seem to be quite similar? But also in Ephesians and also in Corinthians chapter 12, you've got that distinction. But even Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, he makes a distinction between prophets and teachers. See? They're not the same. He said in the church, in Acts chapter 13, there were prophets and they were teachers, and they were not the same. The Apostle Paul is uh, once again emphasizing in this passage that uh, the gift of teaching is a unique gift, it's a special gift, and that the person who's been given that gift should stay within the sphere of their giftedness and not try to intrude in other areas where they don't have the gift. Now, by the way, does that mean you only got one gift? No. A person may have several gifts. But the point is, you've got to know where your giftedness is and operate within the sphere of your giftedness. This is what Paul... Now, I want to ask, ask three questions this morning and uh, answer those three questions. Number one, how does this gift of teaching that is mentioned in this passage differ from prophecy that Paul mentioned previously? Number two, what's the primary purpose of teaching? And number three... Where do we find those biblical examples within the New Testament of people who exercise this gift in a very effective way? Those are the three things I want to look at this morning. First of all, what's the difference between prophecy and teaching? Now, you remember that uh, when I dealt with the whole matter of prophecy, the gift of prophecy, I told you that the unique distinctive feature about prophecy was the element of immediacy. That uh, truth is imparted to a person immediately, and that truth is passed on. They don't have to study. They don't have to research. They don't have to investigate. Uh, it is something that comes immediately to the person who has the gift of prophecy. So give an insight almost instantaneous. Here's a problem. And almost instantaneously, they got an insight that they can share with you of how to deal with the matter. That's the prophetic gift. It's an, an immediate gift. It's not the same thing as teaching. Now let me show you that, by the way, quickly. Look at Romans, uh, Corinthians chapter 14. I alluded to this before in a previous message, but it's worth showing this to you quite frankly. Uh, chapter 14 and verse 30. 
Verse 29 said, let the prophet speak two or three and let the others judge. Notice, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold the peace. You see the element of immediacy? Here are two people in the church uh, saying that God has given them a message and they're sharing it with the church. And then the other person said, God has just given me some insight. Paul said, let those two stop and let that guy who just got that in me share with it. See, that's the element of me. He didn't go out and study because we discussed the topic, how to deal with it. It's immediate information that's fed into his mind as to how to deal with the situation. See? So the main thing between, difference between teaching and uh, prophecy, that prophecy has to do with the matter of something being uh, immediate. And I think we need to understand this particular matter uh, when it comes to looking at these distinctions. Now when it comes to teaching, a teacher can't get up in the pulpit and just expect to teach. He has to go home, he has to study, he has to do research, he has to investigate, he has to call all his facts under different headings, etc., etc., and he has to be able to, to present that in a way that it is logical and understandable, but that comes through the effort of study and investigation. Uh, a person who has the prophetic gift, that's not the case with him. He's given an immediate answer to the problem, he can share that with you, but he doesn't have to go home and research how this thing needs to be done, etc., etc., this is what the, uh, Paul is pointing out here uh, in this passage. Yeah. You remember in Acts chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, we come across a prophet called Agabus. Remember that uh, Agabus got up in the church and said, listen, there's going to be a famine. God has revealed to me there's going to be a famine and the whole world uh, is going to under famine. And you remember what the disciples did? Immediately upon hearing that, the disciples decided, look, we've got to take care of these folks in Jerusalem. So they started preparing uh, relief for the church in Jerusalem. But this was something immediate. Agabus didn't go and look at the, uh, read the New York Times or read the Time magazine or read something to decide by, by a system of logic and uh, probability we're going to have a famine. No, he was given a, a revelation there's going to be a famine and the church needs to prepare for that. And the church responded to that immediately. It was something instantaneous. That is what the prophetic gift is. You remember also in Acts chapter 21, verse 10 and 11, uh, Paul is trying to decide to go to Jerusalem. This same prophet Agabus gets in the church and he takes off his belt and he takes Paul's hand and he wraps Paul's hand. He said, look, so the Lord has shown me that if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to be incarcerated. You're going to be put in prison and something worse is going to have to come upon you. You remember what Paul said? The believers start telling Paul, don't go, don't go. And Paul said, don't try to break my heart. None of these things moving. I'm going to Jerusalem. But when he got to Jerusalem, guess what happened? The exact thing the prophet said, exactly what happened to Paul. He got under arrest. He was under house arrest for two years. Uh, the prophet told him. Now, the question is, did Paul, was Paul disobedient to the prophet? Well, you ask Paul when you meet him, right? Because I really don't know. I just know one thing, that Paul was convinced he had to go to Jerusalem. And even though he was warned what would happen, Paul uh, went to Jerusalem even knowing what would happen. See, that is how focused he was on going to Jerusalem. So if you want to debate that question, who was right and who was wrong, you will debate that in eternity. But right now, I just want, I'm just giving you the facts of what happened. But again, it was an instantaneous message this Lord had given to Agabus. Tell Paul what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. 
and Agabus performed the job. Again, there was no investigation. There was no research. There was no looking at the laws of probability and saying that, you know, chances are if you go down to Jerusalem, you're going to end up in prison. Absolutely not. It was just a direct message uh, that was given to this man. So teaching is different in the sense that it requires preparation and study and training. Uh, but the gift of prophecy does not require that. By the way, um, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and see how this teaching gift is involved in the ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse Number two, he said, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be what? Able to what? Teach others. Notice, the one that is going to be taught or doing the teaching must himself be given the information that now he passes on in teaching. See? So the teacher is one that has to be taught in the process of his teaching. He has to garner the information before he does the process of teaching. This is what uh, Paul is saying here. It's nothing, nothing instantaneous. Uh, Paul is emphasizing that here again. Again, if you look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 14 uh, to 16, uh, Paul says, he said, neglect, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecies. A prophet in the church had indicated that the Lord had ordained Timothy to be Paul's companion and to be Paul's minister. As a result of that, the church set aside Timothy and they ordained Timothy to the ministry. That's what he said. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy prophet may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine or teaching. He has now to concentrate on the ministry of teaching. Take heed to this, Timothy. You've got to prepare, Timothy. You've got to study. You've got to be diligent. You just can't get before the church and you don't have anything to say and expect God to fill your mouth with words. No, do that just diligence in preparing to teach. So prophecy and... and um, and um, teaching are two completely different uh, things all, all together. Another great statement that involves this matter of teaching as part of the, the ministry is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. If you just look there for just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. Where Paul said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Timothy, if you're going to be teaching and preaching, you've got to study. See? And any preacher that doesn't study doesn't belong in the pulpit. I repeat that. I don't care how you feel about the whole matter, but if a pastor doesn't love to study, he doesn't belong to the pulpit. He belongs to do something else. Studying is part of the ministry. And I would say to any of you young men in here, uh, if you think that you're called to the ministry, but you don't like to study, stay out of it. It's not for you. It's for somebody else. See? Uh, study is an essential part of the ministry. And believe you me, it is perhaps the major part of the ministry. I've been in this church now over 20-something years. You think it's easy to look at your faces every Sunday morning and wondering, I wonder if you remember what I preached last Sunday. I think about that. 
I really do. See, I always think, you know, what did I, what did I preach a year ago? I said, et cetera. I can't preach the same thing. I've got to be as a pastor. Remember that, you know, I'm preaching to people for t- over 20 years. I got to maintain the interest. I can't maintain the interest. I get here and just speaking off my mind. My mind is not very large to speak out of in any case. I got to do research and I got to study to have something to say to you, to encourage you, to edify you, to build you up, to motivate you. Without study, I can't preach. I'll be honest with you. There are some people who are impromptu speakers. I am not an impromptu speaker. I have to study. That's the reality. And, uh, and by the way, you can always tell if a pastor studies or not. You just have to listen five or ten minutes. You know if you study or not. Right? You know if you're just speaking out of experience. Right? Uh, you pretty much could pick that up. And I'm very much aware that you are sensible enough to pick up whether or not the pastor studied. But I'm emphasizing here that part of the teaching ministry of the church uh, that Timothy had is that he had to study to show himself approved unto God. A workman not to be ashamed. You don't be embarrassed when you get in church. You just rattle the plate, keep a lot of noise, and then people say, but wait, there's nothing here. No food. Nothing to digest, nothing to think about. Just a lot of noise. Uh, That's not the purpose I was telling, uh, I think it was Rhoda, when I first started preaching here, I used to break pulpits. If you doubt me, go to Barbados. I mean, literally break pulpits. For me, it was an emotional thing. I got so wrapped up in emotion, I would pound this pulpit until this pulpit break. See? I thought that was preaching. See? Later, I began to realize, what's all the noise about? You know? uh, are you feeding the people that they're getting anything? And then I learned, and by the way, the guy in, in uh, St. Vincent, uh, Pastor Faisal, he doesn't know this, but being in St. Vincent for five years, I learned from him the importance of, uh, I, I, how do I put it? I learned from him the importance of just focusing on the meat as opposed to the noise. See? I've never told him that at all. Never once in my life have I told him. But I learned that from him. You know? I had the zeal, but not according to knowledge. And I needed something to temper me along that line. And he was very, very helpful in that regard. So that is what uh, Paul is uh, emphasizing here. Uh, that's the difference between this gift and the gift of uh, prophecy. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the difference between this and the gift of exhortation when I deal with exhortation. Because uh, there's a difference between that as well. Uh, what then is the primary purpose of teaching? Here's what the prime, the primary purpose of TV, it aims at the mind and it aims at giving you understanding. That's the whole purpose of teaching. Exhortation is different. We'll come to that. Exhortation is to motivate you to do something, to activate you, to galvanize you. Teaching focuses on the mind and the understanding. It helps you to interpret uh, the truth and present the truth to you uh, so that you can grasp the truth when you listen to the truth. That's what teaching is all about. It's the ability to systematically and regularly instruct people in the word. It has the capacity to read the, read the scripture, understand and assimilate that truth and present that truth in a way that people can grasp it and people can understand it. But the main focus of teaching is the mind. It's not to get you to do something is to get you to understand something. And by the way, there are people who are good teachers who are bad preachers. 
Because they have the capacity to, by the time they're finished thinking, they've taught you, you understand. But they haven't moved you even to lift a spoon. There's no fire there. There's no, there's no excitement there. There's no, there's no, nothing to galvanize you to, there's no electricity there to make you want to do what they say. You go away saying, ah, I understand that truth. You don't go away saying, I want to practice that truth. I'm motivated. That's the difference between the teacher and the preacher, by the way. They both do the same thing of teaching, but they have the, has the aspect of exhortation, motivation of, of, the, of the individual. So I would say to you that the key element uh, to this gift has to do with the matter of uh, helping you to understand uh, what, 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 it, what is there. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace. As Pastor Murphy shows us biblical examples using the spiritual gift of teaching and also shows us the spiritual gift of exhortation. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.